though there will be some things you've never heard before. And you thought, you know, I've never thought about that before. Never heard that before. And that's the way God works. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. Anybody know the rest of that? Here a little, there a little. Here a little, there a little. Someone's been wanting me to repeat that sermon again because they can't remember what I said. Y'all remember? How many remember that? That's the truth. We build our Christian life on the Word of God. Jesus is the foundation. The, the Bible is the, is the cornerstone or the foundation. He's the cornerstone. And uh, we build our Christian life on the Word. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 35 to 48. 35 to 48. And uh, follow me. Let your loins be girt about and your lights burning. And ye therefore like unto men that wait for the Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speaketh thou this parable unto us, or even to all? Peter wanted to know the context, didn't he? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his house to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say, in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and the maid servants and to eat and drink and be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knoweth not, he knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever shall it, much is given of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. You know, I, I got hooked into just reading the words of Jesus when I've been in chapter 12. And if you read the words of Jesus, they are powerful. 
See, sometimes, maybe like me, you have the tendency to read the Word so often, and I'm not discouraging reading the Word often, but you read it so often in a sense, a lackadaisical sense, that you don't get the, the, the pointed message that Jesus wants you to get. So sometimes we've got to reread it again. We've got to catch what it's saying. Now, you know, every time I go through this, one of these statements about, you know, when the Lord comes, he's he going to beat one uh, slave with a little bit of beating, and he's going to beat this other one to death. I'm thinking, Lord, have we got that to look forward to? You're going to take me out behind the woodshed and, and, and whop on me when you see me? Well, actually, in actuality, if you really think about it, Jesus is using an illustration from the culture in which he was standing in. And they had servants. They had slaves. Slavery, you know, the low estimates of slavery during the time of Christ is 30% of the people were slaves. That's a low estimate. And so, hey, if you, you know, anybody here a slave? Praise God, we, we're free, aren't we? Not only free physically, if we're saved, we're free indeed spiritually, right? That's even even better. But when he was talking to that crowd of people, he was talking to people that understood slavery. I mean, they saw it every day, and many of them were. And uh, he said, hey, what happens when you don't do right? The master comes in, you get a beating. What happens? Some a little, some much. And so he uses this illustration to say, in the coming of Christ, there's going to be suffering consequences of not doing the right thing. The fact is, friend, if you're not saved, you're going to hell. I mean, did God send you to hell? No, you send yourself to hell because you did not resort to the remedy, which is Christ who died on the cross of Calvary. So when we read these texts here, it's, it's good to understand the severity of what Jesus is saying. He's warning us. He, he told us before that a man that built barns and had barns and built bigger barns and totally concentrated on the physical world woke up one day to only hear the Lord say, today you're going to die. And your soul is going to be required. What's he teaching? Jesus is simply teaching that we need to prepare for eternity more than we prepare for the earth. Because our time on earth is uncertain. Our time in eternity is certain. It's forever. There's no end. No end. And every one of us have to understand it is appointed unto us once to die, and after that, the judgment. So you've got to read these stories that Jesus tell, tells to get the context of what he's trying to teach us. He's not saying he's going to beat us. Now, some of us deserve a beating when he comes. Amen? I mean, we've been out there. We've been in control of our life. We've run our life, run our life in a ditch. And we got what we thought we deserved. We get a beating. Well, the Lord, the Lord chastens us in this life, but it's not a beating. There's worse than that. I remember when I was a kid, I had parents that I loved and they loved me. And I didn't always understand my dad loved me. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I thought he might hate me. That's a good thing. It kind of kept me in, in tune. But I remember, I remember when I would do some things that I knew were wrong when I was a teenager. The greatest fear I had is that I would, they would hear about it and not get a beating but be disappointed in me. Anybody else understand that? I think some of you understand that. Uh, some of us don't. But this is the thing we have to take serious as a Christian. We need to take serious that God loves us and that we don't want to disappoint him. 
unnecessarily. He loves us. But we don't need to walk straight out away from him and be in charge of our life and do things in our life that we know absolutely are wrong. And sometimes we do that. Now Jesus has already warned us about covetousness in, the, in chapter 12. And then he, he talks to us about worry. He told us about our soul, how our soul is the most important thing and that someday our soul will be required to bring up uh, before God and give an answer. You know, I think about computers. Computers really are a good illustration of our mind and our soul. That computer has everything recorded in it, right? And only a few people know how to wipe them clean. God can wipe us clean, thank you. But when we report to God in judgment, it's all going to be recorded. It's all going to be looked at. Now, he gets to through these subjects, and in our text, uh, he, he, he talks to us about how, as a Christian, he, he really addresses us as believers, how we need, we need to be prepared to live life. So, he's prepared us for eternity. Now he's going to prepare us for living the abundant life as a Christian, how to live the Christian life. Now, in eternity, there's only two outcomes. Let me make sure I make that clear. Only two outcomes, heaven or hell. Eternal life or eternal death. That's why God sent his son, the Lord Jesus. And if you'll come to Jesus, John chapter 6, verse 37, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you come to Jesus, you belong to Jesus, and you're going to spend eternity with Jesus. Now he tells us, we are accountable to God. And we are accountable to each other. We are accountable to our church family. And he tells us and he teaches us how we need to be responsible, how we need to do things. That's what he's going to get into in the text. Look with me in verse 35. Jesus is now teaching the things we need to know. In verse 35, he said, let your, so he's addressing his disciples. Peter's are going to ask him a question in here. We know it's the disciples. He said, let your loins be girt about. I'm going to stop right there. Let your loins be girt about. Well, you know what your loins are, right? That's, you know, your middle section of your body, your lower back, physical illustration to teach us a spiritual truth, our ribs, our abdomen section, our hips. Hey, how important is that part in a soldier's life? I'm talking about a, fight, a guy with a sword particularly. I mean, anybody in sports, in sports, in baseball, in football, in basketball. How important is that middle section, the loins of a person? It's vital to be, be the top players, right? As a Christian, our loins have to be girded about. Now, the illustration of the loins is a physical way to teach us a spiritual truth. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10... We get the spiritual description of what he's talking about in the text. The Bible basically interprets itself. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, I'll read it to you. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Now, we're going to talk about the loins first. Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, let, let you get up there, David. Wherefore, uh, Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, 
And then he gets to the point I'm trying to make. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Now, girt about means tied up, brought up, prepared for warfare. As a Christian, man, guys, I want you to be a, a five-tool Christian. You heard of that one, haven't you? I want you to be a five, a totally prepared Christian. The first thing you do, you need your loins girt about with truth. And what he is saying here is you need to be mentally, spiritually, physically fit as a Christian. Be strong in the middle part of your life. And, and he's definitely referring to our loins being girt about with uh, the Word of God. The Bible as a vital part of our Christian life. You can never become the Christian that God wants you to be. You can't be strong. You can't be a five-tool Christian without time in the Word. There, it takes time in preaching. It takes time in Bible study, small group. It takes time of reading, time, and not just speed reading the Bible. Just don't speed read and run through it and say, Oh, I did it. we got to read it and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Don't overlook the importance of the Word of God in our life. I want you to look at James with me. Look at the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. We will get our loins girt about with truth as a Christian. And so what's he talking about? Let's look at James 1. i got an illustration there. I want to take the Scripture and show you. It says in James, chapter 1, verse 21. It says this, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, all filthiness, and uh, he said, and superfluity, phony stuff, and naughtiness, and notice, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness. Meekness would be humbly accepting it under its power, under authority of the word of God. He said, receive with meekness. Notice the reference to the Bible, the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Hey, you know about engrafting plants, right? The trees, you know, you take an old wild tree root and you can engraft in some uh, tame fruit and make things. And, and what it does? It changes the fruit, doesn't it? It changes the fruit, right? Right? And so if we engraft the Word of God into our life, the promise here is that it will change the fruit of our life. Let me ask you, how's the fruit of your life going? Are you producing in your life the, the things that should be? I mean, you know, love, peace, joy, gentleness, kindness, meekness, Christian fellowship, witnessing. Is that what's coming from your life? If not, let me tell you the problem. Problem may not be, you know, well, maybe I need to get saved. Probably not the problem. The problem is you probably have not been engrafting the words and letting your lawns be girt about with the truth. He says, bind up, fasten, gird up your loins with truth, the Word of God. Now, let me go on in James chapter 1, verse 23. He's talking about the Bible, and I'm talking about building your life, building your strength, being a five-tool Christian. Look at verse 21. He says, wherefore, lay apart. Oh, no, I haven't read 21. Let's go to 23. He says, for if any be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding, his natural face in the glass. Some of us are here to hear. Why are we really not here to hear? We're just here. And we hear. 
He says, come with purpose to the preaching, the teaching, the Bible study, to the reading of the word. He said, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer. We need to come hearing the word of God. We need to go to the Bible hearing the word of God, receiving the word of God with a purpose in our mind that we're going to try to apply it to our life. True? And then when we get out of church today, we don't go about life the same as we did yesterday if something that we heard that day has application to what we're doing, we give it application. Okay, I'm going to change this. I'm going to change this. Now, he talks about looking into a glass. We know what that is. That's a mirror. Some of your newer translations will have the word mirror in verse 23. But the old King James says, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Look at verse 24. For he beholdeth, beholdeth himself, goeth his way, straightway forgetteth what matter of man he was, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, being not a forgetful hearer, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. So when you go to reading the Bible, when you go to preaching, when you go to Bible study, and you should do all these things faithfully, can I go through my old sermon line upon line, precept upon precept? I didn't get anything out of church today. You may not feel like you got anything, but your soul got something. You cannot hear without your soul getting something. And the Spirit of God bring it up later. So, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. So, here, here it is. We, we go and we go with purpose. I'm going to listen. I remember making a conscious decision when I was a teenager that I wasn't just going to go and be there because my parents forced me. Anybody remember that? I remember going and said, you know, I'm going to listen today. I'm going to pay attention today. And let me tell you something. Before I made that decision, I learned a lot of things. My old youth teacher taught me a lot of things. I never thought I really paid any attention to him, but I can recall them now. I can't remember what happened yesterday, but I can recall what he taught me uh, a few years ago. All right? You hear more than you give yourself credit for. But here it is. When you purpose in your heart that you're going to really soak it up, it becomes more real, more powerful in your life. It's really a commitment to Christ to be a more dedicated Christian. To take it for serious. Let me tell you, it happens all the time, all day long. Kids are raised in church and, and they make professions of faith and, and most of them are really saved. Some of them may not really be saved and they just kind of go because they've been taught to go and if they hang in there, one day it finally catches on. You may be 15, you may be 25, you may be 35. A lot of you are late bloomers. 45 but it catches hold. That's where the Bible says that the Word of God will not return void, but it will accomplish what it said it out to do. You take your little kids to church, you say, they're not getting anything. They're getting stuff. You say, they're not getting You know what? One thing they might be getting just to be able to get away from you and, and live without you for five minutes. Hey, how many ladies and mothers would say, God bless you, preacher, that's the truth. Yeah, they need that. It's all part of it. You know, going to church is not just to hear the Word of God. It's a life. It's a life that Christians live. And it's part of the things we need to do. Now, as Christians, we're, 
We're to gird our loins up with truth. Babies in Christ, First Peter tells us we need the milk of the word. A more maturing person, the book tells us in Hebrews, I want to read you this in Hebrews 5.12. Some of us need to hear this. convicts me every time I read it. In Hebrews 5.11 he says, of whom we have many things to say, speaking of his audience, of whom we have many things to say, and they're hard to be uttered, seeing that you're dull of hearing. Any wives got hard hearing husbands? Boy, now how many husbands have hard hearing Why? Don't raise your hand. You're smarter than that, guys. All right, but here it is. We're dull of hearing. The truth is, we come and sit, soak, and sire. Right? That's old Bob used to say, isn't it? Sit, soak, and sire. Uh, churches want you to come, grow, and go, and something else, too. I can't remember what else I read on that sign. But in reality, we like to come, soak, and sire. Leave me alone, preacher. I'm doing the right thing. I'm here in church today. That's what we like. But as Christians, notice verse 11 says, we have the tendency to have dull hearing. Verse 12, I want you to get under, I want every person here that's been saved for five years, take it to heart. Verse 12, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, he said you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracle of God, and it becomes such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness and is a babe. I, what do you say, preacher? I want us to hear that with conviction. Every one of us has been saved five years longer. Ought to hear this. That you ought to be at a place in your life where you could be te- He's scolding these people, isn't he? He said you ought to be to the point that you could teach others. That's what he says, the first part of verse 12. But he goes on to say, but you need to be taught again. The first principles of the work of God. How many remember the, the truth is, the, the truth that if you don't use it, you lose it. How many understand that? You don't use it, you lose it. See, I lost my basketball ability years ago. I can't even lift weights anymore. I'm going to get back to it as soon as I get time. I've lost a lot of things. And I, I, I remember going to play softball, and I was so discouraged. I saw this guy look like he was older than me. He hit the ball, and he ran all the way around the base. I said, I'm, I'm going to retire. I'm going to retire. I, some of you young couples remember me being there. Oh, that was embarrassing. Folks, uh, if we don't use it, we lose it. True, isn't it? That's what he said in verse 12. And then he's, he goes on to say, you have need of meat and not strong meat. And then he insults us by saying, verse 13, that everyone that uses milk is unskillful. In the word of righteousness, he is a babe. He calls you a baby. All right, baby. How many, how many is ready to fight? Somebody walked up, you baby. That's an insult. And what he's trying to do is motivate us to take the word of God, gird ourselves with it, use it instead of lose it, and it produces fruit in our life. Now, I spent a lot of time on one because one is the key to the rest of the things, but I'm going to mention them, and we're going to go home. The second thing he says here is about our light. Go back to our text now. He says, let your lawns be girt about and your lights burning. Well, we know the difference between darkness and light. 
and how darkness represents sin and sinfulness and light represents truth and righteousness. And God wants us as Christians not to live in the dark. He wants us to light up the place. He doesn't want us just to live in the light, but He wants us to light up the place. How many, how many know why bars are always dark? You know, you, you don't want to empty a bar and ruin your business if you own a bar. Turn the lights on. Right? It's just why Jesus told us why. Because men's evil are men love darkness because their sin their their ways are evil. They're 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 I can't get the word out. But it's evil. So we don't need to live in darkness. We're to turn the light on. We're to be light. You know, there's reasons why those bars are dark. The the two's at ten, right? Oh, I stop right there. You ever really think about, though, this, that Jesus wants us to light up the world and where we're at? John 8, 12 says that. And walking with Jesus, living out his word, will bring light to others. And that's what people need. They need light. Many people are walking in darkness because no one has shared with them some light. Now, I'm not telling you to go out here and condemn people and point people out and, and judge people. Man, that is so far from what we need to do. It is not our place to judge people. It's not our place to make people feel condemned. It's our job to love people and bring light to them. Is that not the truth? Man, we're to bring light. That's our job. So he, let your, he said, let your light be burning. This is convicting. As you do the things you do during the week, you need, if somebody looks at you, they need to see your lights burning and not darkness controlling your life. And folks, people need light, and it's our job to take it. A lot of things I can say about that. But not only should we bring light to people, he talks about verse 36, we need to be waiting. If you look at, look at verse 36. And ye... Uh, yourself like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding that when he cometh and knocketh they may open unto him immediately. He's talking about waiting. How many enjoy waiting on someone? Husbands learn to wait. I, have, I don't have a problem with my wife about that, but many husbands do. Wait. You go to the doctor's office. What do you do? And every time I wait, I'm thinking, he's got all these people lined up because he wants that money to roll. He's got to make a payment on that big car in the house. And he's got me sitting there waiting. I'm thinking, all I can do is wait. You know, I don't, I don't like waiting, but I understand having to wait on something important, right? I understand you're going to go see the king or the queen or the appropriate president. You have to wait. Everything has to be prepared. And what I really understand is this. Waiting is an indication of your rank. I mean, you're sitting there and, and you're a private and you're here you are waiting. Sergeant comes in, everything kicks off. You're waiting for someone in a higher rank, right? True? Get mad 
That's just the way it is. I, I, I read, I read, uh, I read an article on Leon Russell the other day, and they was doing this orchestra, and he was a piano player, and the, the director of the orchestra was up there on stage, and he walked in two hours late, sat down at the piano, and said, "What about it? You made us wait two hours." He got up and walked out. <laughs> well, you got the authority to do that when you when you're that good, I suppose. But the point is, it's an waiting is an indication of understanding of where you are in rank. When I go to the doctor, he's in charge. Got me? Is it true? Will you go see the boss? Boss, Pitch a fit if you want. Doesn't help. When it comes to Jesus, he is in charge. That's my point. Hey, that's rude. He makes us wait. How many has heard all your life the Lord's going to come at any minute. The Lord's going to come any day now. He's going to come any day now. How, how many's heard that? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand here. How many said, I'm tired of hearing that. The Lord ain't coming any minute. That's, we're not to have that attitude. The attitude we should have is, He's important, and we're waiting on Him, and He comes when He gets ready. Matter of fact, he even told us, when I'm coming is in the hands of the Father. He said at the time, he didn't even know when he was coming again, right? That's when he was on earth. Maybe he knows now. You know, the Trinity, right? Go on about all that. But folks, we need to learn to wait on the Lord. I don't like to wait on the Lord. I want the Lord to come when I want him to come. I want him to do what I want him to do. But the Christian life is learning to wait on God. Well, preacher, won't you get out there and make this happen? Well, what I might get out and make happen may not be what we want to be the outcome. <laughs> We're to be like a waiter in our relationship with Jesus. We are to wait on him, and when he comes and pays the check, he says, well done, they're a good and faithful servant, and we get a tip. Yeah, okay? Are you interested in being submissive to Jesus? Have you learned that discipline to wait? Now, he says that that's the third one. I want to go to the fourth one. He's talking about watching. Look at verse 37. The verse 36, he said, we're to wait on the Lord like, a, 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 like the boss is coming from a wedding. And when he knocks, we immediately open the door and let him in. Verse 37, he says, blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. We're to wait on the Lord. And we're to be watching for the Lord. And notice he said in the text, get what he said. He said, if you'll wait for me, and if you'll be watching for me, I'll come for you, faithful servant, and when I take you home, I will wait on you. What? That's what it said. Isn't it an amazing thing? Jesus said, if we'll wait and watch for him, he'll take us as a faithful servant home, and he will watch and wait on us. I realize it's an illustration, but what a tremendous illustration that Jesus said, if we'll put him first now, he'll put us first then. We need to have our eyes open. 
We need to be alert. We need to watch. We need to pray. We need to be waiting on the Lord as a watchman. Remember the illustrations from the Bible about a watchman, how he needs to be on the wall warning other people, watching for the enemy, watching for the Lord to come, watching, being alert. That's the kind of Christian we need to be. We need to have our lawns girt. We need to have our light burning. We need to be waiting on God. That means he's the boss, not us. We need to be watching for the Lord to come at any time. We don't know when it is, but it's going to happen. And then he ties the knot by saying we need to be faithful. Verse 38 to 40, look at it. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh in an hour that you think not. The greatest challenge of the Christian life is to keep one eye on heaven and one eye on what you're doing on the earth. Always keeping one eye on the Lord, wondering what he's up to. He's talking about being faithful to God, faithful to Jesus. Now, you're not to be faithful over every talent there is in the world, but you're to be faithful over the talents that God gave you. We're to be faithful. He says if we are found faithful in Matthew 25, verse 21, he will, said, well done, he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and he will allow us to enter in to the blessings of heaven and be blessed in so many ways. We're to be faithful. All right, now. What are we to do? Let me give you a rundown. We, we need to make a decision for Christ. I need my lawns lawn good about with truth, God's word. Secondly, I need to let my light burn for the glory of God. Thirdly, I need to be waiting on God. He is the boss. I need to be watching for the Lord to come. He may come at any minute. And I need, I need to be faithful to what God has given me to do faithful how we doing five simple truths faithful you know we want to do some big thing it's not important that we do some big thing it's important that we follow instructions he gives us your lawns go about with truth your light burning for the glory of God waiting on God letting him be the boss watching for Jesus to come at any time and then Faithful over the things he has made us stewards of. How you doing? Write it down. Give it application. I want us to bow our heads. Quietly stand to our feet. I'm talking to the folks today that are saved. When I say you need to have your lawns go about with truth. You need to be in Bible study. You need to be preaching. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to let your light burn for the glory of God. You need to be waiting on God. You need to be watching for Jesus to come. You need to be faithful. Now, being faithful to God is not showing up to church once a month. It's more than that. So I'm challenging you. Faithfulness. How many of us, as our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, 
Say, preacher, I didn't make 100 today, but I want to make a better grade next time it's, the sermon comes up. How many of you raise your hand? Say, preacher, I ain't made 100, but I want to do better. Right now, I see those hands all over. Me too. Me too. Let me talk about something even more important than that. If you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, I want to give you an invitation to come to Christ. Come as you are. You don't clean your life up. You don't straighten your life. If you straighten your life up, clean your life up, then come, you, you may miss salvation. You come as you are and let Jesus take care of the rest. As our piano begins to play for us, Keith, go ahead. Is there anyone here that would say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ today? Now, I'm not going to embarrass you, put you on the spot, but today you would give your life to Christ and trust him as your Lord and Savior. Will you come out of that seat right now and make that commitment to Christ? What about a Christian today that would say, hey, I, I, need, I, I need to give application those things you're preaching today. I, I want to come to this altar and I want to make those commitments. Would you come? Any need at all? Amen. Amen. Let's all sing it now. Let's bow our heads again just to give folks time that wanted to come to the altar. Let them have a little more, moment longer to make, make things where they want it to be with God. All right, Christian. We're to gird about our loins with truth. We're to be in the Word, preaching, Bible study, reading. Let our light burn. We're to be waiting on the Lord. Let him be the boss, watching for him to come again, and faithful. Anyone else? We don't want to leave anyone out.
All right. Let's have our ushers come.